God is good. He loves us. He's called us into relationship with Him. We're going to talk about a big Christmas today, but before I do so, I want to thank you for allowing me to serve with you for over 20 years. I'll talk more about that after the sermon. And as Dr. Belser alluded to, uh, this is unusual, but as I studied this passage, Isaiah chapter 9, you may want to turn there if you've not already done so, it developed that way. And that's how sermons, I think, are supposed to happen. As we read the passage, we decide on how God is going to best uh, illumine uh, what his truths are from the Scripture. And so it made sense, as I went through this, for us to sing Christmas carols with each of the four names that we have for Jesus found in Isaiah chapter 9. And so that's the reason we're starting a little earlier than we normally would at this point in the service. Uh, some of you thought that we'd be getting out really early or I would be talking a really long time. And neither are the case. Uh, we will be singing as we go through the sermon. And thankfully, somebody who can sing well will lead us and not me. A big Christmas. Too often, our Christmases reflect the Christmases of the secular world. A lot of tinsel, trees, a lot of lights, a lot of gifts, and that's pretty much it. And maybe some nice thoughts, and oh yes, yeah, some good food. But Christmas is so much more than that. Christmas is a time for us to celebrate the most important activity that ever occurred. God coming into the world so that He could live for us and that He could die for us. And so that is the central point of Christmas. And too often we get so caught up in earthly activities and earthly things that we lose the meaning of this most important time. So I want us to reclaim that and be sure that that is a part of our celebration. In fact, that is the main part of our celebration. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. We'll look at that in just a second. We all have hopes, we all have dreams, we all have prayers. But too often, just as we reflect on Christmas, those hopes, those dreams, those prayers are of the earthly nature. And we don't go to the heavenly nature. We don't go above that. Our hopes, dreams, and prayers go something like this. I hope my college football team will do really well this year. Maybe even win a championship. I pray that I'll get something really nice, really fine for Christmas this year. I hope that my car doesn't break down. I hope, I pray, that I'll meet that significant other person this year. I hope, I dream, that I'll be able to reestablish a solid relationship with so-and-so this year. I hope, I pray, that I'll get a new job, that I'll have good physical health. Now, all of these are good things, unless you have a significant other and you're hoping for another significant other. All of these are good things, but they're shallow. They're earthly. They're not nearly what God intends for us to focus on exclusively. He wants us to go beyond that. In Colossians 3, Paul says to seek the things which are what? Above where Christ is. And we should be doing that each and every day, certainly at Christmas. 
When we focus only on earthly things, it's as if God says, is that the best you can do? Come on, you can do better than that, and we can do better than that. Let's reflect for a minute. God, He gave Himself at Christmas a long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago. God, the Creator of the universe, the Sustainer of life, the Loving Father, He lowered Himself so that we could better know Him and better serve Him. He willingly died on a cross so that we could live forever with Him and our sins could be forgiven. Let us celebrate Jesus. Let us celebrate God's love. Let us celebrate God's power. We live our lives in such a way that you would think by our actions that we were begging for crumbs and God offers us a lavish feast or an exquisite banquet, a full meal deal, and we want crumbs. We seek a small fire in order to stay a little warm and to cook our food. And God says, hey, I've got nuclear energy for you. We want tennis shoes so we can get from one point to another. And God says, I got a private jet for you. God wants so much more for us than we want for ourselves usually because we want earthly things. We struggle for the mundane and God offers us the magnificent. We're satisfied with myths and mysticism and God gives us the truth and His love. Let's go beyond where we usually go. Let's allow God to raise our vision and we get what God has destined for us. Isaiah 9, verses 1-7, through 7, let's begin that. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Things are going to change for this people. In the former time, He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. What in the world is Isaiah talking about? Here Isaiah, a great prophet of the Lord in the Old Testament times, who lived about 700 years before Jesus was born, is talking and saying that this area in northern Israel, where these tribes are, Naphtali and Zebulun, we have a map that we're going to put up here. You'll see that they're to the far north of the land of Israel. He's saying that these areas, these tribal regions, they've gone through something terrible very recently. In 722, all of Israel was destroyed. About 10 years before that, Naphtali, that tribal region, and Zebulun, that tribal region in the far northeast of Israel, had already been destroyed. The Assyrians had come in and they had wiped them out and taken people into captivity if they had not killed them already. So it would be like Maine and New Hampshire in the United States. As if somebody came through Canada and had destroyed Maine and New Hampshire, and 10 years later they're going to destroy the rest of the United States. That was what had happened. And so here the prophet is saying those regions have gone through a terrible tragedy. But in the future, in the future something great is going to happen in those regions. 
Now, Isaiah didn't know exactly how far in the future. It was over 700 years in the future. In the future, Jesus was going to be born, and Jesus was going to live in where? Nazareth. That was his hometown. And that Nazareth is in Zebulun. And then he was going to have his earthly ministry for the last three years of his life around the Sea of Galilee in Naphtali. And so he's saying these regions who went through all of this terrible strife, all of this difficulty, he's saying they're going to be lifted up in the future because a child will be born and a child will live and grow in that area and these places will be blessed. That's what he's talking about here. He continues in verse 2 and he says, the people who walked in darkness... We sang about that a minute ago, didn't we? The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Things were difficult, and then things are going to be great for these individuals. That is true in our lives too, is it not? Here, we have walked in darkness at some point in our lives. And God, because of His love, because of coming down as Jesus, because of Him dying for us, we can be completely changed, transformed. We can have this great light. Those who dwell in the land of the deep darkness, on them light has shone. That's what he's talking about. He's saying for Zebulun and Naphtali, they're going to be completely changed. We can be too. Verse 3 says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with a joy at the harvest. They're glad as they divide the spoil. He's saying that the celebration will be complete. The celebration will be intense. The celebration will be great because it's as if they are bringing in the harvest. They now have food for the rest of the year. They now have a great victory, a military victory. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppression, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Here Isaiah is reminding them how God had performed a great victory for them over the Midianites. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. They'll have complete victory. That is what God is promising us because Jesus will come forth. Because Jesus will change everything. Because Jesus is the dividing line in history. And then verse 6, passage we're very familiar with, but let's study it and let's understand better this application of Jesus as we seek to have a, a big, great Christmas. For unto us a child is born. A child is going to make all the difference. Seems inconceivable, but it's true. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Before we get into his names, what in the world is he talking about? The government will be on his shoulder. That was an expression which meant that he would be in charge. He would be the ruler. He would be the one who would control things. And that is true, is it not? This child, this Jesus, who is from everlasting to everlasting, He will change everything. He will be in control. And then the names. The four names of Jesus, we want to study those. We want to understand better what they're teaching us, what they're saying to us. 
The first one is Wonderful Counselor. Some people break it up, but we're going to put it together today. That's how we're going to study it. Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean for Jesus to be that Wonderful Counselor? How is He going to guide us? How is He going to instruct us? How is He going to encourage us? How is He going to minister to us? John MacArthur has written about this passage. He's a great pastor. Many of you have read some of his sermons. Uh, he has said for this, a phrase that he uses for wonderful counselor, is there is no confusion. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write that down. No confusion with Jesus because He's the wonderful counselor. He's going to lead us out. He's going to guide us out of that confusion that we have in our lives. It's so easy in our lives for us to be confused, for us to need counsel, for us to seek counsel. It's interesting when we think about that, that there are times when we recognize that we need direction, right? There's times, though, that we think we've got it all together. You know what? We need this Jesus all times. We need to be running to Him all the time for counsel. Not just when we don't have an answer ourselves. We need to be running to Him to be sure that we get good counsel. We get good advice. God, He guides us through Jesus. He is giving us truth. He's making us aware of what He is seeking to do. We read in John chapter 7, verse 46, that the officers, and these were some officers for the religious leaders who were supposed to have gone and gotten Jesus and brought them back to Him, they said... No one has ever spoke like this man. They were amazed. They were afraid to bring Jesus in because he was so unique. He was so different. When they listened to him, they stood in awe. This one who is wonderful counselor. That's how we should be as we go before Jesus and say, I'm amazed. I'm amazed, Jesus, at what you're teaching me, how you're guiding me, how you're giving me wisdom, how you're giving me direction, which I so desperately need. It's so easy for us to get advice from other people. I don't know about you, but I've gotten some really bad advice from other people. Occasionally, I've taken their bad advice. Usually, I give myself bad advice and I follow my own bad advice. And that's not wise either, is it? But then we go to experts and we listen to them and we take their bad advice. <laughs> Instead, let's run to Jesus and let's allow Him through His Word to give us the good advice, the advice that we desperately need. We can make fun of experts all the time, so that's what we're going to do right now. H.M. Warner, in 1927, who was the founder of Warner Brothers, who, of course, made lots of movies, you're too young to remember, I'm sorry. Uh, you can talk to somebody old like me later and we'll help you with that. In 1927, the Warner Brothers, they decided who in the world wants to hear actors talk and decided not to go in at that time and start making movies where you could hear what the people were saying. They liked those movies where uh, you just saw the action and you had words that were printed up there. Experts. We can't trust him, can we? In 1962, the Decca Recording Company, I don't know of the Decca Recording Company, and maybe it's because they made some really poor decisions. They had listened to the Beatles sing, and here was their comment. They said, we don't like their sound, 
and the guitar music is on the way out. Experts. You can't trust them, can you? And then last one, the chairman of IBM, Thomas Watson, in 1943. Most of us know who IBM is and what IBM did and how big of a company it was. The expert here, the chairman said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. Experts. You can't trust them, can you? You can't trust yourself. You can't trust family and friend for advice. Instead, let's run to Jesus. Let's get His advice. Let's get His counsel. Let's listen to the wonderful counselor. Let's get the direction we need from Him. Don't try to trust yourself. Don't try to trust others because you're going to be disappointed. At this time, we are going to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Michael's coming. Are we standing, Michael? Sure, we're standing. O come, O come, Emmanuel. This will illustrate this point of wonderful counselor. Some 
Thank you. Jesus, wonderful counselor. Jesus, the mighty God. John MacArthur's phrase for mighty God is no chaos. When is there chaos in large groups of people? When nobody's in charge or when more than one person is in charge, right? Mighty God, Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the one who's in control. Jesus is the one who has done all and is sovereign. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we read about this Jesus. It says, For by Him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus, the Creator. Jesus, the Sustainer. Jesus, the One who brings us into relationship with Him. Not only is He all wise, He's all good, and He's all powerful. He is the Mighty God. He's in charge, and we can trust Him to make good decisions. This point reminds us that we must praise Him. The first point, Jesus being the wonderful counselor, reminded us that we need His direction. This reminds us that we must praise Him. We must come to Him. We must rejoice in who He is. Jesus created everything out of nothing. Jesus, the One who's in charge right now, today. It's so easy for us not only to seek guidance from others, but to seek power from others, to seek them to control us and to control the situation. We must run to Jesus. We must allow Him to be in charge. We must allow Him to bring peace out of the chaos, strengthening us in this way. Oh, Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He ministers to us. And too often, we reject Him. We do not listen to Him. We do not allow Him to give us the grace, the peace, the strength that we need. An individual that we will call Jake was a jogger. Jake enjoyed jogging out in the uh, western part of the United States, and he would jog on these dirt trails, and, and, and he got a lot of excitement out of that. A pastor and I, we would just as soon watch somebody else jog. We would prefer not to do that himself. Jake, as he was jogging in this hilly area, got too close to the edge of the cliff. And he fell off the cliff. And Jake, as he's falling down, he's grabbing for anything he can. He grabs a hold of a branch. The branch is creaking, almost breaking. And he looks down and he sees that if he's to fall, it's sheer death. And he looks up and there's no way he can climb up to get up to the top of the cliff and to save himself. And he cries out, help me, help me, somebody help me. Is there anybody up there? And a voice responds to Jake and says, Jake, I'm up here. I'll be glad to help you. And Jake says, who are you? Who are you? And the voice comes back, I am God. I will help you. And Jake says, that's great. I need your help. I'm desperate. I'm in a terrible situation. I'm near death. And God says, I will help you. 
And Jake says, well, well what do I need to do, God? And, and, and when you get me out of here, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll be obedient. I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong. And God said, that's okay. That's okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. Right now, we need to get you to safety. And Jake says, okay, what should I do, God? And God says, let go of the branch. And Jake looks down and he sees sheer death, you know, if he's to let go of that branch. And he thinks for a second and he shouts out and he says, help me, help me, is anybody else up there? That's how we are most of the time, aren't we? We know Jesus loves us. We know He's almighty. We know He's in control. We know that He brings peace out of chaos. We know He brings order in our lives. And yet, when we get into a predicament, we don't want to take His advice. We don't want to follow what His Word says. We want to look for another answer. And Jesus says, no. I came into the world years ago so that I could bring peace and strength and order out of this chaos. You must listen to me. You must follow me. And then I will help you. At this time, we're going to sing Joy to the World which illustrates this point of allowing Jesus, the great, mighty God, to come into our life and take care of us. We'll stay seated in this one.
to the world. Let us receive our King, the mighty God. Not only is Jesus the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, but he's also the everlasting Father. Hard to understand, isn't it? Here, this child is born and he is the everlasting Father. The term that John MacArthur uses for this is no complexity. And we have to explain that a little bit. Maybe we would say no inconsistencies, but I'm certainly not better than John MacArthur, and so I didn't share that. But anyway, maybe no complexity. Maybe you'll understand it better to realize that what he's talking about is that Jesus is consistent each and every time. We know that this everlasting Father is always going to be there and always doing the right and the righteous thing. He's consistent. He's always there. He always does what is right. When I was studying to be a physicist, uh, there was all kinds of laws of physics that you were supposed to learn, and most I have forgotten. But let me go over a few of them. Conservation of energy, thermodynamics, uh, the laws of motion, and then the one that we might understand is the law of gravity. If you've got something heavy and you drop it, what's going to happen? It's going to fall down every time. Every time. Not just most of the times. In that same way, Jesus is always there. Jesus is always doing the right, the righteous thing. Last year in basketball, college basketball, Gonzaga won 31 games in a row. It was like they were impossible for anybody to defeat them. And in their last game in the championship, they lost. Jesus never loses. We don't have to wonder whether he's going to win or not, or whether he's going to be righteous, whether he's going to be consistent. Every time, a few of you are Alabama college football fans, and you think Alabama cannot be beat. They were beaten by Texas A&M this year, were they not? Okay. Everyone that we think is consistent and good, every time you and I think that we're consistent and we're going to be doing what's right, we fail. We let somebody down. We're not able to do that. But Jesus is always consistent. The term that we usually use in church circles is that He is faithful. Maybe that's the term that we ought to use right now. Jesus is faithful. He's faithfully doing what is good and what is right and what is righteous. We can count on Him always to do what is good for us. He is the everlasting Father. We don't completely understand that. How in the world can this child be the Father at the same time? That is complex. But the non-complexity is the fact that He is there and He loves us and He cares for us. He's always doing what is appropriate. You and I, we need to run to Him. We need to know that we can trust Him. We need to know that He can work those situations out in our lives because He is completely faithful. 
passage I want us to look at for this is Psalm 22, verses 27 through 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all of the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, belongs to Jesus, and he rules over the nations. Yes, Jesus, this one who came some 2,000 years ago, is not only a wonderful counselor who ministers to us and guides us, directs us, encourages us, lifts us up when we're down or when we're up, he's also that mighty God. He takes away that chaos out of our lives. He loves us. He's also this everlasting Father who's consistently there, consistently doing good, consistently ministering to us and caring for us. We can count on Him. We can trust Him completely with our lives. At this time, we're going to sing, God rest ye merry gentlemen. And I'll ask you to sing as we reflect upon Jesus, this everlasting Father. Don't you love the Christmas carols? They help us to reflect on this Jesus, this great one who's come to change us, to change the world. And he's done it so well. Wonderful counselor, no confusion, mighty God, no chaos. Everlasting Father, no complexity. And then the last name that was given here in this passage in Isaiah is Prince of Peace. We may relate to this the best because we so desperately need peace. The term that John MacArthur uses for this name of Jesus is no conflicts. Jesus takes away those conflicts. But you say, there's still conflicts in my life. There's still turmoil in my life. You need to understand what he's saying. By being the Prince of Peace, he's giving us an inner peace. 
He's ministering to us from the inside. And even in the midst of conflicts, even in the midst of difficulties or problems, He is giving us an opportunity to be at peace and to feel His love and His strength and His compassion, His care for us. It is an inner peace. This last three weeks, Norma Jean and I have been packing and packing and packing. If there's ever a job that I will not take in retirement, it will be to work for a company that does packing. <laughs> I am now allergic uh, to cardboard. And as we prepare to move, there's been times that I have not slept well. Oh, I'll get to sleep. I'll go to sleep as soon as my head hits the pillow. But I'll wake up at 1 or 2 in the morning, and there'll be thoughts going through your mind. All of us do that from time to time. Unfortunately, I've done that for weeks now, from time to time, more than from time to time. And there's all kinds of things that we think of at 1 or 2 in the morning, and sometimes we don't go back to sleep, and we get up at 6, and we're tired that whole day. And I'll just give you some illustrations of some of the things that you might think of during those times when you're not able to go back to sleep. It may be, just hypothetically, nobody in particular, that you're getting ready to move. And you're thinking about, do we have enough tape? Do we have enough boxes? Will they fit in the boxes? Will things get broken in the move? We've got to turn off the utilities. We've got to turn on the utilities. We've got to make new friends. We've got to say goodbye to people that we really love. We've got to find a new church. We've got to find opportunities that God leads us in that will be significant that we'll do for the next 20, 30 years of our lives. Those are just illustrations. I can't imagine anybody who's gone through that process or thought through those things or been not able to sleep because of those things. What does that show when we wake up in the middle of the night? That we don't have trust in Jesus that we don't have that inner peace that we're supposed to have. Uh, it's telling when we have to admit that that has been our situation. That as the pastor said earlier, we have anxieties. Foolish, isn't it? Because Jesus is in control. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants to give us inner peace. And some people who are a lot more spiritual than individuals that we just mentioned, they can't go back to sleep at 1 or 2 in the morning because they're thinking about a loved one who needs to find the Lord. And they're praying to God that God would bring that individual to a peace, to a relationship with Christ. Or they're praying for individuals that they love that are facing terrible situations with a illness or with a job situation, etc., etc., etc. There are many reasons that you and I express that anxiety in that way or in other ways. And all of them are sinful. All of them are examples of us not really trusting Jesus as we're supposed to. All of them are examples of us not having that peace and having that faith and having what God has offered for us to do. We stay down here on this earthly level and, and God says, no, no, come up here to a heavenly level. Really allow me to make changes in your life. The Prince of Peace he can. He wants to. He's able to give us that inner peace. May we accept it 
May we love him. May we trust him each and every day. May we allow that to be who we are. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, we read these words, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about them. And he says, in the peace of God, that Prince of Peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what's supposed to happen in our relationship with Jesus. That is what should be going on in our lives. We should be expressing that confidence. We should have that peace. We should have that, that power to not allow those circumstances, allow those conflicts of the world to control our thoughts. The Prince of Peace, no conflicts. He gives us an inner peace which is true, which is strong, which changes our lives. There was a pilot, we'll call him John. John flew uh, for a small airline and they delivered packages and uh, John, every time he flew this one path over the Appalachian Mountains, he would look down and he would stare. The co-pilot finally said to John, he could, could take it no longer. He said, John, what in the world are you doing? What are you looking at as you're looking out that window as we're flying over these mountains? He said, I grew up in this area. I grew up right down there and there's a creek right down there. I can see that creek. And when I was a boy, I would fish at that creek. And day after day, I would fish and I would look up and I would see the planes flying over. And I said, I just can't wait till I get to be an adult and I can become a pilot and I can be flying those planes. And then John went on and he said, and now I look down and I say, boy, I wish I was fishing down there on that creek. Too often, that's how we are. We're never satisfied. We don't have that peace. We don't have that inner peace. We don't have that confidence. We say, God, I want you to give me something else. And if he gives us that something else, and we say, God, I want you to give me something else. And Jesus is saying, let me come in. Let me guide you. Let me give you strength. Let me give you that inner peace that you so desperately need. When you're a pilot, be happy you're a pilot. When you're fishing, be happy that you're fishing. Have that peace that only God gives us. We're going to sing, hark the herald angels sing. And as we reminded last week, they didn't sing, they spoke. But don't change the song. Don't change the song. You remain seated. We're going to sing, hark the herald angels sing.
help illustrate the scripture here so that we understand better who this Jesus is, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace who has come into the world so that we might have salvation. We might be changed. Let's finish this passage in verse 7. We read, of the increase of his government and of what? Peace. There will be no end. Jesus became the ruler of the world before the foundation of the world, before the world began. And he's always been the ruler of the world. He'll always be the ruler of the world. And he will rule in a way that will bring peace if we allow that peace in our hearts. On the throne of David, and he truly was, he was a descendant of David. He was a descendant of Judah and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. How will he rule? How will this child rule? How will this adult rule? How will this God rule? He'll rule with righteousness, with justice, always. From this time forth and forevermore. How is it going to be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as we reminded last week, the Lord of the mighty armies, the angelic armies, will perform exactly what he said that he would do. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder. 
Jesus is in control. Jesus loves us. Jesus wants the best for us. Our response is to accept Him. Our response is to worship Him. Our response is to give Him praise. May our vision, our dreams, and prayers include and in fact mainly be focused upon things that are heavenly, things that are significant, things that really matter. May we focus on Jesus and allow these earthly things to not be nearly as important in our lives and instead focus on Jesus. And if we do that, we truly will have a big Christmas. Let us pray. Our Lord and Savior, you are good, you're gracious, you're loving. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that not only you came into the world, not only did you descend, not only did you come down in this sinful world and live amongst us, you died. You died for our salvation. You conquered both sin and death. And you've given us an opportunity to love you, to serve you, to trust you, to get counsel from you, to praise you, trusting that you are truly in charge, seeing you as everlasting Father, knowing that you're consistent, consistently good, you are faithful, and too often we are not, and allowing that peace to come in our lives to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.